Oh, Blue, th- th- thank goodness you're here, man. This They're not telling us a lot, but, you know, Bertier, I guess he was in a car accident. And, What's uh, going on? What's going on? Blue, it, I, I know I know you sing, and that's that's kind of your deal, but, like, this is this is a serious situation, man. Like, I mean, you know, I understand it. It's serious. I mean, my man's leg is in his ear. Like, he, he, he got smashed up by that car. I yeah. Okay. Just, just want to make sure that you're, you know, oh, you're okay. I mean, yeah. I'm okay, okay, okay. Oh, uh, coach, coach is here. Hey, coach hey, is coach. here. Coach, well, uh, what do we do? Oh, guys, guys, I got in here. I, I haven't seen anybody yet, but it's looking, it's not looking good for Bertier. They told me outside. Uh, oh, here's the doctor right now. Doctor, wh- what do we do here? Hi, everyone. Uh, you know, this is this never the the best part of my job, but I do have some bad news, and I. Looks like looks just lay like it on his dock. I don't think Gary's going to be able to walk again. Uh, you know, there's a lot of injury to his spinal column, uh, and it appears that he's paralyzed below the waist. Okay, okay, team. It's not looking good for Bertie, but we got to pull together. That's right. We have Titans. Yeah, that's Titans. right. That's right. That's right. Who are we? The Titans. We are the Titans. That's right. I second that emotion. Blue. What? Blue. Wait, man. I, I know I know you think it's the time. But it is not the time. We'll let you know. Okay. I, I'm I, I'm just feeling it. You know, I'm feeling it. Yeah, it's yeah. in my body. I can't change anything about that. I'm I'm blue. Right. That's right. my that's my definitive trait. But maybe just just take it down a little bit, you know. All right, all right. I hang out in the corner over here. Okay. Uh, well, doctor, is there anything else we should know? I think, you know, what what Gary probably needs right now is just some positive support. You know, this is a traumatic incident for him, and he's going to have to go through a lot of life changes. But, you know, you yes, guys doctor. are a team, and, and I think, you know, he, he really could use that support system. That's right, Titans. That's right. We're his support system. And how are we going to support him? I can't help myself. Blue, just shut the fuck up. Sorry, everybody. Well, there's some sad things known to man, but ain't too much sadder than the tears of a cloud. When there's no one around. Blue. Oh, sorry. <laughs> You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is a podcast where we deconstruct these white saver films and recontextualize them through a black and POC lens. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. And I'm the other one, Cameron Mason. And the the world is burning around us as we talk. Oh my god! <laughs> Did everything happened this week. I think everything. Happened I this think week. so. Yeah. God, we. Man. You know, as you probably can tell by now, we record these things maybe a week or so out before release. So, you know, sometimes things have changed by the time that we we drop. But I mean, we're. Not, I don't even know if it's even worth 
discussing things because Trump just got indicted. Like going to jail, that nigga going to jail. That's right. I can't wait. Oh, I can't you know, wait. No. <laughs> more, more and more Jonathan Majors news drops as oh, we just go along throughout the oh, week. Oh, that's and, unfortunate. Uh, yeah. And then Cameron was just telling me another train derailed in Ohio. Yeah, uh, on the Ohio. Wait, what? I didn't hear. On that. the Ohio Sorry. River. <laughs> on the Ohio River. Right uh, up the block from like a filtration center, like mile away. Oh. Uh, they're low-key trying to ban TikTok, but actually really just trying to slip in a bill where they can have more control over your uh, social media baby. and data and information. So, like, welcome welcome to whatever this... I mean, I don't even know, I don't even know what to, to call it anymore. But white people won't save you from the dystopia. Yeah, but hopefully <laughs> in the future, wherever you're listening to this, things got better. But tell us if things got better. Send a time capsule back and let us know. How Let us know in the out. comments. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we are very excited for our guest today. Um, yes. You might know her as one of the co-hosts of Pop, Pop Culture Happy Hour over at NPR. You may also be looking I didn't know you're doing that. Oh, I'm sorry. Big things, <laughs> I'm so big sorry. Things. Uh, also, uh, she has an upcoming book, Wannabe, Reckoning with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me, uh, which is coming out June 16th, I believe. June 13th. June 13th. All right. Yes. Uh, Got to make sure we get that right. Uh, but this is Aisha Harris. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. We're, yeah, we're static very happy. happy to have you on. Yeah, applause, applause. Uh, <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> uh, I mean, I know the world's burning, but yeah, wait, you, you know, know, we're we're here. happy to be here. That, part of why we do this show is to be a little bit of an escape from whatever craziness is going on. So hopefully, we we're providing that to people if you're listening to this <laughs> by uh, talking about white saviors yeah. yes well, you know, <laughs> that's right everybody that's right. has their way um well yeah so i want i'm gonna ask you a bit of a long-winded question to start uh but everything's gonna tie in together so it, it'll it'll make sense um but your upcoming book right is really about your your journey through pop culture in the 90s and beyond and just basically like your processing and internalizing it and then kind of like how it's shaped the way that you see the world um but you also as cameron held up just a little bit ago uh did the insert for hollywood shuffle from criterion but also a, a, a for article uh for criterion about hollywood shuffle which is more or less one of our namesakes right like we the mm -hmm. the, the image on our <laughs> podcast is me and cameron uh talking shit uh sneaking in the movies um <laughs> And I think, you know, at the heart of that movie, at the heart of Hollywood Shuffle, it's really about the struggle to see yourself represented authentically under the white gaze of Hollywood, right? Like trying to see where you fit into all of these stereotypes and things that the world is trying to throw at you. And so getting to the, the question <laughs> is, what has been your experience, you know, kind of navigating the pop culture landscape, both professionally and personally, and trying to bring that perspective to it you know like in the way that you're i'm you know we, we're all kind of constantly searching for ourselves and where we fit in um to this and so you know tying it back into the book and to into hollywood shuffle kind of you know how have, have these things kind of shaped the way that you see the world well i think at this point i'm of the mind that it is there's never been a better time to be a black consumer um we have so many different artists and creatives and filmmakers who are making really interesting things and are in many cases getting more of a platform than they would have gotten 
even five, ten pre get out pre moonlight mm-hmm. era uh, years ago. So I I think that it's really really great that we have so many up and coming and also veteran filmmakers who are making some of their best work right now, like Gina Prince Bidewood. Like we are in a golden age, and I one of the things that I kind of talk about in my book is this idea that like 20, 30 and 50 years ago, there were, there was a lot of focus on like negative versus positive representation. And like, it really just boiled down to like, does the black person live to see the end of the movie? Uh, do, are they, do they get to be dignified? Are they the Sydney, Sydney Poitiers versus the Stephen Fetchit? Right. Like that was what we were so focused on. And even with Hollywood shuffle, at that time in 1987, that was that was a thing that we had to contend with. And don't get me wrong, we still have to contend with those things in pop culture today. There are even some films and uh, filmmakers who are black who are making movies and TV shows that I think really focus on racial trauma in ways that are not interesting or moving the needle for or pushing uh. pushing the envelope or doing any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think. We've moved past the need to always complain about <laughs> uh, black people on screen. I think there's just so many other. I always want to point people to other things that might be under the radar and say, like, you know, this exists. I know this is crap. Uh, <laughs> like, let, let me just throw this out there. Like something like Antebellum or Them, uh, the TV series. Um those things were they just wallow in racial trauma and there's no characterization there's no uh there's no layers there's nothing there snaps, um snaps. and yes and and yes it's frustrating yeah. to watch but here can i point you to something that's doing like maybe the same doing the same themes but is doing it really really mm. interesting interestingly uh the underground railroad look it's a hard watch I'm not saying it's an easy watch, but it is about more than racial trauma, and it is a it's beautiful. Like Barry Jenkins, like put his foot in that. Yeah. Like it. You I know. need a physical so... release. I need a physical <laughs> release. Yes, yes, and it's it's not a show you can binge. I do not suggest binging it. Yes. Uh, yeah. But so I, I'm I'm really at this point where I I always just want to say like, look, there's there's other things. Like we don't have to we don't have to get so upset all the time about certain character or like certain uh iterations or things on screen like yes we can call them out we can critique them but i you know when people are like i'm so tired of slave movies i'm like look we don't there aren't that many slave movies being made and also some of them sometimes are good (laughs) (laughs) not not all of them or not even a lot of them but sometimes they uh they elevate they they do things in interesting ways and 12 years a slave i think is one of those even though i have not seen it since it came out because it's that to me is just a one and done kind of like requiem for a dream. Like you watch it and then you don't need to watch yep. it again. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm, that's where I am at, especially when it comes to thinking about black people on screen and black people behind the camera. Um, it, it, it was the, it was, it's the best of times and sometimes it's the worst of times, but I think it's really mostly the best yeah, of times. For sure. <laughs> well, to, to paraphrase Octavia Butler, there are other suns, right. That you can stand <laughs> under and, and get the light from. Um, yes. Well, before we get into a movie that I think, you know, for a lot of people, me included, was a, a touchstone of, you know, those post-90s, early 2000s era, um, I want to ask, because you are also one of the people who are, are really pushing for a new Black canon in film, 
Um, and I know Cameron is also one of those people who's got, he's got his own list. Um, so I think, you know, very quickly, I guess this could count as our recommendations for the day, um, is just thinking about what would be included in that for me, I would say, sorry to bother you definitely fits into my, my new black canon and, you know, uh, Boots Riley's got a new, new Amazon show coming up. So I, um, yeah. And I'm I'm really excited for that because it looks like it's kind of continuing his just like slightly removed from reality uh, look at just a lot of different things, but you know centering you know blackness within it. And I think Sorry to Bother You is such a weird movie in a way that black film rarely has been allowed to be. You know specifically in a in a larger commercial space because like. I, get, I don't even know if you can spoil it anymore at this point, but like the turn that happens a quarter of the way through the film is like everybody. The turn. Yeah. Everybody in the theater, I was in audibly gasped because we were just like, is this the right movie? <laughs> like what, what happened here? Uh, but then it, yeah. it all makes sense. Like you, it, it's not like, Oh, this was just a thing that just happened out of nowhere and like ruined the film. Like he, he's already got you by that point. So you're ready for, oh, okay, I guess this is what's going on now. Like, you know, you're not necessarily like totally thrown off by it. And then when it all wraps, you're just kind of like, yeah, no, oh, no, yeah, they're horse people, I guess. I mean, I think that's what's <laughs> happening now. Um, and yeah. I, I really appreciate just that it was such a, a, a turn in the way that, you know, for so many different, I mean, even for like, um, you know, Danny Glover, I think, was he in Last Black Man and Sorry to Bother You yes, that same year? So like, what a yeah, what a yeah. what they a year like for him! Just across <laughs> the street from each other, basically during the same summer, which oh, is man. like right because it was Oakland and San Francisco. Yeah. San yes. Fran- like yeah. he had to go nowhere. He probably took a <laughs> <Lincoln> town car. <laughs> he's gotten the Uber. Also, he like he's from he's from San Francisco. Yeah. Like he, yes. I'm pretty sure he still lives here. Yeah. So it's like it, it, you know, it was perfect it's for insane. him. Insane. That's crazy. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that like one of the reasons we included Sorry to Bother You on our new black film film canon, um, which was published in Slate and NPR, um, was because it was so weird and because it's so uh, it's unlike any other movie, not even just on that list, but I've ever seen. And the fact that it's like really dealing with the idea of capitalism and unionizing and workers rights. in an era like it was only five years ago, mm-hmm. but like it feels like it sort of predicted <laughs> where yeah. we're at now, where we're having all these conversations. So yeah, I love that movie. It's so good. Uh, what well, do you have one that you'd like to throw out there? Um, one that actually made our list, uh, or do you want one Ooh, that? Like, what about well, let's, let's, yeah, let's, let's get let's one that didn't make it. What, <laughs> just what just didn't make the list? Well, it wasn't. It's a movie that I um, actually didn't see until after we made the first list, which came out in 2016. So this newest one was an update. And, um, you know, we it didn't wind up making the list, but I probably would have put Bill Duke's uh, Deep Cover mm. on the list as well with mm. uh, Lawrence, Fish- Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Uh, love that movie. It's beautifully shot and is just a great neo-noir drug underworld like social commentary but also super stylish yeah and just like great performances across the board you've got jeff goldblum uh you've got um 
uh, Roger uh, Guinevere Smith. Um, did I say his name right? Uh, I always he's uh, fa- great character actor uh, from many Spike Lee movies and on. Um, but yeah, I, I I really love Deep Cover. I have the Criterion uh, nice. edition of it because I love it that much. So that that I would have like snuck on there. And who knows, maybe in another Come on. few years if we do another another update, we might add it round on. Two, round but two. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Cameron, round this out. What you got? Oof, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> you know what? You know what? I'm going to just preach the gospel of this movie again and again and again. Uh, Summer of Soul from mm-hmm. Summer of Soul. two years ago. Like, yeah. that's. I remember when I saw When We Were Kings the first time, when I was like 15 or something like that. It played on HBO. That's the documentary about uh, Muhammad Ali going to. Zaire to fight George Foreman and that big fight and the uh, music festival around that movie. And I just felt like alive by that movie. That movie just made me feel alive, like kind of in a wild way. Like I, I love music documentaries too. So like I got, I got this like penchant for this niche genre already, but then Summer of Soul came out and it honestly felt like a visual and sonic explosion. Like it just felt like I was discovering things as the audience was discovering things as the people in those like talking heads pieces were mm-hmm. um, were discovering things. I was just I was I was just very excited by that movie, and it's, it's like very watchable too. Yeah, in the way that like the best music documentaries are, where you can just like throw it on, you don't even have to pay attention. You can just kind of feel it, you know. Um, and you know, directed by a black man, which when we were kings is not so helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, definitely was shout out that. Yeah, you mean directed by uh, Amir Questlove Thompson, upcoming director of the live action Aristocats movie. <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened, man. <laughs> Dude, the like uh, promising young black, or not that he's young, but like promising new filmmaker to like franchise pipeline is so strong right now, and I don't know how I feel about it. I'm just like Ryan Coogler, I love you. I want to see you. Do some non IP yeah. movies again. You know? Well, it's, <laughs> you know? it's it's wild that one Aristocats was next up on Disney's docket. <laughs> we're getting the little mermaid. I mean, they were bound to they were bound to start going to the their third and fourth. Look, I like Aristocat uh, cats. Yeah. I still like Aristocats too. It's mid though. It's very mid Disney. Oh, yeah, well, um, I mean, he's got one scene in particular he probably should remove from. I think you're gonna have a. You mean the time. chopsticks? <laughs> The Siamese cat with chopsticks, yes. Uh... But also, just like based on their last couple of live action, uh, speaking on specifically the Lion King, like Mm. uh, and the success (laughs) of cats, I'm also just wondering, like, what do you mean by live action? (laughs) What is actually (laughs) gonna be on the screen that I'm gonna see? They really mean CGI. Okay, then just why, just, yeah, I guess make it, I don't know. I would rather him get some cats together. Just get some cats together and make them, they can just have multiple takes. Like, they could just keep going until they get, like, the one yawn that look like a a letter A or look like But are we doing, are we doing a Who Framed Roger Rabbit here? situation oh it's probably because or... like there's humans in the movie yeah right? or at least the original there's oh, that friends, didn't stop so... robert zemeckis and his <laughs> pinocchio that did not stop your boy oh god <laughs> right well, so they're not you know no things could happen mm. uh, well transitioning to our movie of the week 
Um, Aisha, you picked one, again, that I think a lot of people have fond memories of, but maybe haven't seen it in a while, and watching it again may surprise you. So what what, what <laughs> movie did you choose for us to discuss this week? Remember the Titans! <laughs> uh, a, a movie that uh, I hadn't seen until watching it in prep for this. Uh, I hadn't seen, I don't think since it came out in theaters, um, at least not in full, because right. it was always on TV. Mm. So like you, like back when you used to just watch TV on a Saturday yeah. and then like channel surf, I would, you know, dip in and out. Um, but yeah, I would have been, I was 12 when this movie came out. I saw it in theaters. I remember loving it. And, uh, you know, I, I picked it in part because because I haven't seen it in so long and because I have, as my, my book wannabe talks about, I have grown, I have changed. <laughs> my perspectives have shifted in the past 23 years. Um, and it, I'm not going to, it's not as bad as Green Book, but it's in that like vicinity of type of movie that it is, that it, that it is trying to be. Yeah. Uh, so Yeah. That's the, Remember the Titans. that's the 20th anniversary pull quote. Not as bad as Green Book, <laughs> <laughs> says Aisha Harris. I mean, nothing can be as bad as Green Book, like, except maybe Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. But like, Oof, God. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're having PTSD. <laughs> the Oscars wouldn't think so. Uh, <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I would like to briefly, before we get into, you know, just brief specifics, go around and ask everybody's like initial impressions of viewing you know when when it first came out the first time that you saw it because i think you know like me and Cameron were talking before we came on you know this movie was omnipresent at a time you know specifically in the day and age of hey we're going on a field trip we need a movie throw on remember the titans hey you know it's uh you know a substitute day or like end of the year you know, this class is kind of over. Throw on Remember the Titans. Hey, you're sick. <laughs> you're at home. What's on TV? Oh, Remember the Titans. You know what I mean? And you just kind of would just watch it. And it wasn't like yeah. a movie that at the time, you know, specifically when you're a kid, and this is, you know, a little bit of the insidious nature of these films is that you watch them and you're like, yeah, you know, like you're like, you get, get together, everybody. Come on, guys. Like, go ahead, Denzel, you know, and you end up really not questioning what you're seeing because it's just like this is it's presented in such a way one quote unquote based on a true story right but then also like it's the disney idealized version of things that you know it just kind of seems like why would you question the events of this film you know but then once you actually yeah. sit down and watch it you're like there's a lot of things happening here i don't know if i like uh, <laughs> but, uh aisha going back to the year 2000 you saw this movie and you thought what um i was like oh this is a good movie this is fun and uh they conquered racism uh, i don't know if i i don't know if i thought that did, but though. i i definitely they, they did though um there's even a line at the end in the in the voiceover it was like People say it can't work black, white, but we made it work every day. And yeah. I'm like, uh, but yeah, I, I was definitely um, not thinking about, I, I just not attuned to um, how kind of <laughs> white, uh, how this is made for white people yeah. and not really for black people, um, or at least not for a lot of black people. I don't know, because there's plenty of people who um, kind of, 
champion or like look back at the civil rights era and this is after post civil yeah. rights the the events are in the 70s mm-hmm. but like it definitely has that feel of like not much has changed uh had changed by the 70s and that seems probably accurate but then it feels like this movie could have been made like with Sidney Poitier in it like mm-hmm. 30 years earlier um uh, it, it's not quite like to start with love or anything right. but it's it's got similar notes you know yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah, but I was I was I was not thinking about things. I was just like, oh, it's nice to see an upstanding black man get these <laughs> with these kids into shape yeah. and and stand above and be have have integrity yeah. and all that stuff. Third Eye wasn't <laughs> quite online yet. Still kind of <laughs> yeah, not at all, not at all. Gary, uh, <laughs> what did you think? Uh, yeah, I, I I mean I thought it was like like Aisha said. I thought it was fine. Thought it was a movie. It's one like you said. It's one of those movies in school you just absorb through osmosis. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like it's. It, you've seen it so many times. You've probably seen it at home. If he was black, you might have even gone to see it. Who knows? Yeah, it's um, Denzel. You probably it's Denzel. Like that's a that's a ticket. I mean, I did. I saw John Q in the theaters for yeah. that reason. I got a, I got a John Q theory that we're going to talk about in a bit. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's like it's fine, and it's also just I, I you know what I thought when I was young was that I liked Denzel. I liked a lot of the people in it. Like they got yeah. all the right okay. black people for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they, <laughs> they had face on. I was like, oh, I like scrubs. And Wood Harris was like, oh, I remember about the rim. Okay. I, I was there. And like, you know, uh, and, and a couple other folks. And it's just like familiar faces. It's like the good old Disney charm, I kind of thought. And they, they put it on me and I definitely... Like, fell for it, like, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. I, same way. Like, I think seeing it in theaters, I remember coming out and feeling good. You know, like, these movies are, by nature, very manipulative with the music <laughs> and, like, you know, all of this stuff. So you come out of it and you're just kind of in a haze of, like, yeah, like, they did it. You know, like, you're rooting for the team. And, again, they're not real people, but it's... They feel real. You know, I mean, you're being told this is real. This is a real story. So, you know, all of it's kind of in that lane of like, yeah, we're really trying to get you to have these emotional, you know, like not just feelings about the movie, but like Mm -hmm. feeling like you just witnessed an epic story of, you know, these people who overcame the unimaginable and now like, don't you feel better about the world and, <laughs> and what is possible? And I, I think for, again, for, for young impressionable minds, you know, you're kind of watching this. You're like, yeah, okay. Like I've, I have no reason to question anything that I just saw. So like, this is great. But if we're, yeah. if we're getting into the particulars, what a weird movie, you know, just on a, on a <laughs> general sense, you know, from a filmmaking behind the scenes perspective, like, I don't, I don't, I have questions, but I really, I haven't been able to find the answer. So came out in the year 2000, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, who was like gung ho about it. You know what I mean? Like he was really pushing it. And this kind of opened up a whole new world for him where he went on to do Glory Road and like other movies and just kind of got to coast on, on this vibe of (laughs) race and sports, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But this is, so this is where it gets weird. Directed by uh, Boaz Yakin, who... If you don't know his filmography, let's run it down just briefly. Let's, right? let's do that because we're all about to discover some things. He <laughs> is the credited writer on The Punisher, 
from 1989. <laughs> that is his first film. Uh, he went on to direct and write Fresh, which was in 1994 a big hit for him. Um, and then A Price Above Rubies, which was another big, you know, independent for, hit for him. Then he went on to do the story from from Dust Till Dawn two, in 1999. Then you Get guys remember the Titans. Do what you gotta do. Then he does the story and, and writes Dirty Dancing Havana Nights in oh, 2004. Wow, wait, wait, wait. What that happened? <laughs> then in 2010, he does Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, is is the writer on that. Um, he then writes and directs Safe with Jason Statham. And then the year after that, writes and executive produces Now You See Me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh, but then just in 2021, was the co-writer on The Harder They Fall. So the man has had a career. He's a renaissance man. <laughs> He's like, I can do it all. <laughs> I was also executive producer on, on the first uh, two Hostel movies as well. So he's got a range, I he guess. He got the bag. That's what he's got. Um, he's got the bag. Then yeah. The screenplay itself was written by Gregory Allen Howard, who is a black man, we will note. Um, and also he is... The, the writer of the Ali movie with um, Will Smith. And so, like, those are his movie. two big... And then he got a story credit on Glory Road. Because they I think they were just like, well, we got to get the magic back, so, like, let's get... <laughs> Which one is Glory Road again? Glory, Glory Road <laughs> is uh, the story of the first all-black starting lineup in the NCAA uh, Men's National Basketball Championship. Oh, um, right, right, right. It's, like, it's got, right after this movie. It's... <laughs> Yeah, it's got hits from the street as like a <laughs> a kind. We're never going to call that man by his real name on his no, podcast. He's hits. He will be hits um, from the street. Yeah, um, but it, it's the same vibe in that like you look at the people in the movie and you're like you you are an adult. <laughs> it's not even like quest- You know what I mean? Like you are grown. Donald Face on Terrorline is receding. In <laughs> high school, as a junior, it's kind of like you. I mean, you're in a movie; like you can fix those things. But they decided that this was how he was gonna look. I we guess. we know I mean, it was a choice. He had, he had he had played a high schooler in Clueless like five six years earlier. Right. So it's like I never graduated. You're baby. still playing high schoolers. <laughs> I mean, again, Wood Harris is 31 at the time of this movie, and he was he was in Above the Rim. Like he was, he yeah. was a goon in Above the Rim, like <laughs> six years prior, and now he's a high school student. Wood Harris in this movie looked like he raised me. <laughs> but it's it's got a it's got an all star cast. It's got Denzel Washington. It's got Will Patton. It's got Donald Faison. It's I don't think it's the debut of Hayden Panettiere, but it's like her first big big role. So yeah. Brian Gosling yeah. is, you know, getting one of his early roles in this. Um, and you know, this is, this is the thing. They shot this movie pretty cheap, $30 million. I've seen even $20 million. Um, but the box office is $136.8 million. So Mm. like this was a very big success for Disney. Um, and won a couple of awards, as you might guess from BET and won the BET award. We like got best actor, uh, I mean, BET will like a lot of things just because the at least back then, especially the pickings were slow. Yeah, but, BET yeah. got them wild politics. They will <laughs> they got the wild politics. Two thousand and one NAACP Image Awards, 
uh, I mean, of course. Denzel won yeah. Best Actor <laughs> okay. and it won Outstanding Motion Picture. I wonder how many of those he has. He must have like 40. <laughs> He's just got a room. <laughs> He's got his own He's room. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard you're nominated for an NAACP award this year, Denzel. Yeah, just, yeah. I've won Put it with NAACP. the others. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've won. <laughs> well, Cameron, I, I don't think I'm going to try to time you this week because the plot in this movie is nonsensical at points the it's things just just, plot just happens plot just so happened. yeah if you if you have it in you go ahead and try to run down the plot of remember the titans for us all right here we go um all right so the movie starts uh in 1981 so uh all your all the people you saw in the trailer going into this movie are now old they're already old <laughs> And they're at a funeral. It sounds great. And we kind of don't see whose funeral it is, but everybody's looking funeral sad. And literally, that's just it. And then we cut to 1971, 10 years earlier. Uh, we're in the town of Alexandria, Virginia, which is looking like, you know, a regular bus stop town at this point in time. And we're caught in the middle of chaos. Uh Somebody tried to integrate something, right? No, not really. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, a youth... Let me get this right now, because they don't... They say... I get three different accounts in the movie, but it seems like somebody hasn't tried to integrate anything. What Jordan, can you help me out? What well, happened so in the first a part? A bunch of schools got, like folded into Retail. each other it's happening yeah. in yeah. in the town it's happening nearby yeah. so yeah uh, integration is on the rise yeah a bunch of the and major schools in the scared. area have been have been folded in so now you know we're coming to the head of the football teams actually having to to integrate and the school themselves actually having to integrate and it looks like this main school tc williams high school is up for integration and it's not looking good and it's a f- football practice and a young Ryan Gosling screams to his cohorts, hey, it's going down in town. We got to get down there. And some of them have some smarmy faces on. It looks like they might be racist. You don't kind of know. But either way, they're like, show me where the racism at. Let's go. They get to town and their coach is like, uh-uh, baby, it's not happening. We got to take it on back because we're, we're people of integrity. We're not going to involve ourselves with this foolishness. Looks like foolishness came to his front door because when he gets back to school, Denzel is there. And he's like, I'm coming for your job. I was told that I'm going to be the new head coach here. And our coach, uh, well, well, the coach, uh, Will Patton's character, Bill Yost, uh, is looking like he's, he's, he's going out to pasture, it looks like. He looks like he's done. Uh, and Denzel is going to be the new coach. But everybody wasn't uh, ready for him to be black, it looks like. <laughs> Um, so people are saying, well, are you going to, is Boone going to take the head coaching job or is he going to, you know, take an assistant coaching job? People are kind of like, people in town are mad. People on his coaching staff are mad. And Yost is just saying, you know what, we're going to, we're going to see it out. We don't really know. I'm not necessarily interested in working under him, but I'm also not necessarily interested in like, they're not being football just because there's integration happening. Basically, in this part of the movie, before like any of the the camp stuff happens, they don't do a good job of like highlighting who is racist, 
what type of racism they feel or like to what because degree. How can you tell, Cameron? Because how do you know? <laughs> they look like regular people to you and me, right? And then it becomes like very Gosling clear in like the next 20 minutes who is Ooh. racist and who is not. It gets real racist real fast. Um, so Boone takes the head coach job and his uh, first... I guess hurdle to overcome is that they have camp before they actually have their season. They have two weeks of camp before school starts. And uh, that's when the team will, you know, take time to learn the plays and bond before they start the real season. So uh, some of the players on the, on the team are, you know, they're saying, I'm not going to even play for a black coach. I'm not even going to get involved with any of that. I might not even play for the team. Some people are like, I want to play for the team, but I don't necessarily want to play with black people. They don't know how it's going to work. They just know that they have to go to camp. So first act of the movie is basically camp and it's not looking, it's not looking good at first. Uh, At the sight of black players, they're mad. Uh, The fact that they even have to room with black players is not looking good. But Denzel, Herman Boone, his idea is that he's going to have each of the players stay in the room with one uh, with an opposite race team member. That doesn't work out well, obviously. Some people don't like Julius Irving on their wall. Some people don't like Motown in their rooms. Fights are breaking out. It's, it's not a pretty sight. Denzel is like, I'm not having any of this foolishness with his trademark finger pointed down, as always. I'm not having any of this foolishness. What we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna run three days and we're gonna run four days if we keep having more of this these fights breaking out, more of this violence. And the team starting to hem and haw, but mostly these kids just wanna play. Uh old uh old quarterback there's the sorry, I'm <laughs> doing a lot of scanning here. Talking about uh, talking about Rev? Well, I was yes. Well there is Rev. There's Rev the uh black quarterback they call him rev because he uh he stays in church loves jesus uh, that's his defining characteristic he he is yes. well <laughs> like all the other characters in this movie he has a defining characteristic and his is jesus um <laughs> everything he does because jesus yeah uh so we got ronnie bass we his got ronnie bass characteristic who- might be might might be gay can't tell. Might be. Might be gay. <laughs> I, I'd forgotten about that scene. It's such I a honestly, weird I honestly scene. did too. I forgot about the whole gay of it all. I honestly accepted it as hippie for most of the movie because I didn't know that in the 70s, you know, especially in like small burbs like this. White people were not interested in hippies. Definitely weren't interested in long hair, going against the war or anything yeah. like that. If, if wacky tobacco. <laughs> wacky tobacco. Not yeah, Reefer Madness. <laughs> these white people were scared of telling you they're, it seems like they're reacting to racism but it seems like they're just reacting they're really reacting to the 70s for real for real yeah um <laughs> uh we got yeah we got ronnie bass we got uh pd jones uh who is the fumble fumble meister it looks like he can't catch a ball to save his life that's donald Faison. uh we also have one of the white team members louis lastic who is played by uh Kevin Smith alumna, Ethan Suppley, who's just, he loves Motown. This guy is a Navy kid, so he's going from base to base. He just got in from Bayonne, and he loves Motown. And literally, they just, they heard, you can't sing? You can't sing Motown? Great. We're going to make you do it at least four times in this movie. You just wait. We got Gary Bertier, 
who is kind of the hard-nosed leader of the white team members when everything kind of gets integrated. Uh, he kind of becomes the de facto leader, saying that he won't play. The team members sort of follow behind him. Uh, but uh, we also have... Well, we got Julius, who's like his, his opposing black counterpart and like his basically the leader of the black contingent of the faction team. yeah the contingent yeah. black contingent of yeah. this team it might seem and, like absurd with the with the plot honestly but it's because all of this kind of happens like the plot drives forward but it's told through random scenes between each character as yeah. things move forward so it's kind of like jotting back and forth even though the story yeah, well, what's, is moving what's forward. the what's the event that denzel conspires that brings everybody together uh and <laughs> his rousing speech oh my oh god my this god. is this is wild this is wild it's um <laughs> like their second day basically of camp and they decide to take a 3 a.m jog through the woods everybody's freaking out it's dark outside i don't know what to do this man says get on the bus and we're gonna run and these people do it. And as day breaks, it just so happens that they find themselves in Gettysburg <laughs> on the <laughs> battlefield. Misty as if the battle had just ended two minutes ago. <laughs> it really does look like that. It's so weird. That's They're a choice. That's <laughs> Literally just people going, oh, no. In the background, you can hear the ghosts. <laughs> and he decides at that moment to give them a rousing speech about how the men of the Confederate army fought together, even though they were black and white, they fought together for the Confederate cause, which is also like, that's what I enter into it there. You know, it's like, it's Virginia fam. We know who the home team was around here. Right. Um, but yes, he gives them the speech about unity and the team decides, Hey, I think we all like Motown. <laughs> Motown is the great equalizer. It really is. Come on now. The the boomers the boomers love it. The white boomers. It's love wild it. the <laughs> amount of work that Motown does in this movie. It, it does oh, a yeah. lot of the lifting in this movie. I'll tell we'll you. talk about Blue in a little bit as well because what a, what a character. Who, who can resist? Ain't no mountain high enough. Who can no one? Not not Blue. No one. Definitely no. not Blue. Well, Cameron, um, what happens when they get back from from camp after they've united as a team? Oh, so yes, when they get back from camp. Sorry, I, I thought you meant when they got back from their job. But yes, oh no, <laughs> uh, when they got back from their job, uh, yes, racism was solved and Motown was loved, and they all it, it, they basically leave camp hunky dory. Everything was great, um, and yes, they get back to school from camp, and everything is not hunky dory. Uh, everybody hate everybody. They forgot that everybody still hate everybody. Um, they get back to camp, and yes, the neighborhood has found out that the TC Williams High is being integrated. Nobody likes it, including Bertier's girlfriend, Kate Bosworth, the girl from Blue Crush, is like just inches. She's she's got the look of someone who's loving being the racist actress in this movie, but also like <laughs> someone who's like, I just actually might be a good actress and I might not yeah. be racist because <laughs> she is doing the work. She's like, uh, Wood Harris, Julius goes over, he's like, hey. I'm your boyfriend's new, new, new buddy. I'm your okay. boyfriend's new buddy. New black friend. New black friend. <laughs> Put her there. Kate Bosworth mm. is like, get the shit out of my 
face. This person is spitting on him. <laughs> <laughs> she walks away. Bertier is a little embarrassed, but you know, these are my friends now. This is my team. I gotta, I gotta ride. Uh, His mom is also racist yep. too. Let's not forget that. <laughs> Bertier, Bertier's mom. Yeah, everybody is like, racist, but no. Bertier. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Bertier's entire fan, all the squad for Bertier is like not liking it. And probably he didn't like it before, but you know, he like it now. He also got to be on this team, it seems. Um, so we start games and we're going, we're going hard. Uh, they get a hard fought one on their first game. Uh, they get a hard fought win on their first game. Uh, the team, the town still doesn't like the fact that that there's black people on the team. There's still protests going on. Uh, But we soldier on. We got a second game. They win that. It's looking good. Uh, And literally, they go, we get a montage, and things are going great for the team. They go, what, it looks like 7-0 in the montage. And At uh, at, at a certain point in the second game, I think that's where Rev gets injured uh, because one of the the white players decides they're not going to block for him. So it is and the so, second. It is the second game. Yes, that Rev goes out. He gets tackled, uh, but he doesn't go out for the season. At least as quarterback, he won't yeah. be playing quarterback anymore. But that means they put their boy Ronnie Bass in there for a quarterback, and your boy turns into Lamar Jackson with the quickness. He's yeah. just un untenable <laughs> as a yeah. quarterback. Literally, he's got every move. He he learned the pitch that he couldn't do in camp. Uh, he's making he's calling plays on the fly. His team is following him behind him. He's flipping people over. It's great. He's, he's flipping people over with my frame. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about momentum, Cameron. You just got to, you know, use your it, center of gravity. And, you got to use your center of gravity. That's what it is. You got to get down low. You got to get down low. Tai Chi, you know? get down low. That's right. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, they ride a Ronnie back quarterback into a 7-0 season. Uh, and yes, so state uh, semifinals comes and, uh, the school board says that the Titans are set to lose and Boone is going to be taken out of here and they're going to put Yost in as the head coach again and put him in the hall of fame and and put this man in the hall of fame. What hall of fame? Unclear. <laughs> the, that was my question too. The Virginia like, High they... School Hall, like it's just yeah. so, just the 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 one. Do you know the one? <laughs> so wait, have we already noted that what? Um, because Boone learns that if he loses the game, yes, then he's out. Yeah, yeah. At, at the start yeah. of the season, Boone learns that if he loses a single game, he will uh he will lose his job, and they're just going to rip him out of there. Um. But that's how how they end up going undefeated with the power of Motown and determination and Denzel Washington's eight brothers and sisters that he was raised around. Yeah, uh, they, they go all the way to they go all the way to the championship. Uh, well, not before. Well, well they go that, all the way to semifinals. Yeah, and uh, he's told that you know he's got to win this game. Uh, the also the refs in this semifinals game are calling some wild plays a lot of holding that's not going on uh you know boone's getting mad and it also has uh yost calling some shots from behind the sidelines you know boone doesn't like this as well he's just you know he's encroaching on his space but you know through all the adversity they win semifinals 
Well, because Yost Yost has a moment where he sees his his child in tears uh, because of how unfair things are, and makes a decision to forego the Hall of Fame and tell the referee that if he doesn't shape up, that he's going to go to the papers with this, and he's he's willing to go down with him too. And, uh, you know, puts it all out on the line. The referees swallow the whistle. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, the other team never stood a chance. And they just run through them. <laughs> so, the town is... And they're like, oh, so you're not getting into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's not getting, you're not going to the Hall of Fame. Too bad, so sad. Signed your dad. Um, the town is happy, though. Because they got to win. Semifinals yeah. went down. You know, they got to win. And everybody's excited. So... Everybody's, you know, looking for an ice cream parlor or a bar to hang out at. And yeah. uh, your boy Bert's here goes to Julius and he's like, hey, Julius, we got to get out of here. We got to go paint the town red. We got to do something. And Julius is like, nah, man, I got to hang with my girl, you know. I got to hang out with know. my girlfriend who you have not seen at all. I, yeah, <laughs> I don't even think you've seen she's, her in the shop. She's, <laughs> she's here now, but she's yeah, not, not, <laughs> right not a there. one scene before. Yeah. We can't have too many black women having lines in this movie. I, I mean, it's so weird. There's like one shot of uh, it's at the protest at the school, I think. And it's, it's saying like, well, uh, they don't, uh, the black people don't want to be here. It's like, they're not too happy either. And it's like this line of black women, like five or six of them, all just the frowniest black women you ever see in your life. <laughs> it's like six frowny black women and uh Denzel's daughters and Nicole Aaron Parker are the black women in this movie, and yeah, that's that's a terrible, rep- that's terrible I, I think, representation. I think Denzel's daughter gets the most lines of any black woman in the movie, and most she gets a whole just arc, like a friendship, sassy one-offs to Cheryl. Like I think, I, that, I think that's it. I liked, <laughs> yeah. I liked when she passed the the basketball. And she was like, "Uh, no," just moved her body out of the way. I was like, "That's <laughs> we don't do that." Classy acting. <laughs> I just got my nails done, girl. We don't play like that. Um, so yeah, the, the town's paint. Alexandria's painting the town red. Um, so is Gary Bertier. He's like, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go party. He gets in his car, and the whole town is, you know, looking at this guy drive down Main Street. You know, waving his hand out the out the door, and everybody's shouting at him. and so excited, and all of a sudden, a truck comes out of nowhere and t-bones this guy. Yeah, all the people so, shouting at him don't alert him to the fact that there is a truck. He's <laughs> like, I know I'm great. I know I'm great. It's, it's also like they're literally having like a parade or something. It's like, how, where did this truck come from? Like, how, how did it not realize there's... <laughs> the timing of this is so weird. It's literally like, I will go paint the town red. Suddenly he's in a car. Suddenly he's on Main Street. Suddenly he's just like waving his hand out the window and then blam, his car gets exploded. It, 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 sheer feat of editing honestly yeah. in this two minutes uh so yeah Bertier's down for the count for the finals the team assembles at the hospital everybody's a little sad julius walks up to mrs Bertier, known racist yeah <laughs> just hey i think i think my son wants to see you julius he's the said. only one that that Bertier wants to see He's the only one you want to see. He's my brother. <laughs> Julius, through them tears, says, all right. But Mrs. Bertier says, them tears ain't going to help my boy get any better. And he, he perks up and he goes right in there. And then he rallies him up. He's like, 
you know, you're going to, I don't know, actually, to tell you the truth, I went to the bathroom. <laughs> right He's then. like, you know, you and me, we're going to grow me, old together. We're going to get fat together. We're going to move into the same neighborhood together. That's right. Bertier also gives him the black power fist, reminiscent of the John Carlos poster <laughs> that he had in his room in the beginning that he wanted to tear oh, down. Oh, that's right. So like, that's how you know it's coming John from the Olympics. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, at that point, it's just kind of like, you know, they've got something to, to play for. And even though Yost is like, you know, boo, what? what's going on here? Is this about you or is this about the team? You know, you're out here doing press conferences and, you know, parading yourself around. Like, you know, have you forgotten what high school athletics is all about? I guess. Um, but they go out they're They're playing in the championship game. It's real tight. It's real consistent for whatever reason that the movie never failed, decides to explain. PD has quit and rejoined the team at least two times throughout the movie i um, must have still been in the bathroom because i did not know any of that <laughs> yeah he he <laughs> decides he didn't want to play at some point so they put ryan gosling back in and then yost is like you can't play for me anymore because you quit so now you have to watch and then you can play next year but they're going at it with their rival in the finals and you know the the coach is is out coaching them you know like they're they're having lots of issues just trying to figure out what to do with the opposing team they're and down to the half it's not looking yeah, good denzel for whatever reason just decides that after everything that he said in this movie his speech at halftime is going to be you know if we lose it's fine i guess it's so crazy. Uh, <laughs> you know like you guys tried hard right i think that's really what counts uh and ed harris is like fuck that i'm gonna be no. avon buxdale and like Three years, <laughs> we pack up. We we go away. <laughs> we ain't gonna take it. Uh, we're not gonna go out like that. We're champions, and rallies everybody up. Also, Yost precocious nine year old girl, I guess, is just like a free and welcome to give coaching advice to anybody. Yeah. Um, and so you know, she's like, "Dad, you need to suck that shit up and just like bury the hatchet with Boone." And so they. Decide that, you know, oh, Boone, help us with the defense. Boone's defense is incredible. They shut down the other team. Ryan Gosling is like, look, I'm actually kind of not good at football. You should put PD in because he's better than me. And PD goes in and, and turns everything around. And then eventually they run away with the game. They win. Uh, they win. You know, the whole town is excited and ecstatic. Oh, you got to complete PD's art there, man. You got to complete his art because he caught the game-winning ball as a well, fumble. Rev, Rev comes in, too. Rev comes in at the end to run. Oh, yeah, Rev does come in at the end. To, to the opposite the team is like, oh, they're going to go far. They're going to go far. They put Rev in, and they cover the back. Yep. Like the evil coach says. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they miss the play entirely. And, yes, <laughs> on a fumble, Petey catches, yep. the, catches the winning game fumble, and they win the game. And then we cut back to the funeral, and they're like, yeah, then, yeah. That, that was us. They win, and they go back to the funeral. Like, that's how the editing of this movie is wild, I'm telling you. They literally, Remember yes, the Titans. They, <laughs> they, they, win, they win states. <laughs> and, yes, they go back to the funeral, and at the funeral, you know. Also, by the way, second second week in a row that we're doing a movie narrated by the younger version of mm, yeah. a little white girl in the town. 
that grew up to witness some events. <laughs> um, but That's either how way, it goes. that is how it goes. Uh, we cut back to Cheryl Yost voiceover of just that was that crazy year where my school got integrated and we won states. And they start humming, na, 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 hey, 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 goodbye. And Which I would be upset if that was my that. child's funeral and don't y'all do started that. doing that shit. Like he just Stop got it. ejected from a from an NBA playoff game. 100%. <laughs> that is not what you do at a funeral, no matter what. Um, yeah. But everybody cries. And uh, then you get the little, what are they up to now <laughs> at the end of the movie? And uh, yes, that is... The triumphant remember the Titans. Yeah, so obviously we gotta we gotta play. Because I have oh yes a number of questions. I think my <laughs> my first realization coming out of this movie was this isn't a good movie. <laughs> like I think my my nostalgia brain had had acted up. You know, and like going into it, I didn't think it was going to be like, oh, yeah, this is cinema. Like, I'm in for a good time watching Remember the Titans. But I think I was like, oh, but they like they they mostly did it, you know, and even before, like when when people were suggesting this movie, I was kind of like, is this a white savior movie? It's got Denzel's the star of this movie, right? You know, like I that's just what I remember. This is the Denzel Washington football movie, you know? Yeah. Not not the case, uh, actually, <laughs> <upon> rewatching it. <laughs> And I think this is this is where we get to my John Q theory, right? Because John Q also not a good movie, right? Like no. if, if John Q stars nope. just another like Dennis Quaid, you know, or somebody of the times, you're like, that's a movie that happens, right? But because Denzel Washington is in it and he's doing Denzel Washington things and like elevating everything around him, you're like, oh, John Q, maybe not a good movie, but like, but you'll watch John Q. Like if it's on TV, you'll sit down. Oh, okay, okay. He got you me know, into like, Roman there's... J. Israel Esquire. <laughs> I, I followed this man, <laughs> and he's had some. You know, like even even Denzel couldn't save like virtuosity, right? Like there's some that are just like this is not going to work for anybody involved. But more or less, he's able to kind of bring these things up to a different level, right? And he's unquestionably the the star of the movie but like the driving force of the film you know what i mean like i was telling cameron earlier it's it's the poochie theory right like every time he's not on screen you're like where's denzel like what is he doing i'm more interested in what <laughs> is happening there than anything else that's going on with um anybody in the movie because when you get to the other parts of the film the yost parts of the film uh the the bertier and and, and julia's parts of the film you are kind of like huh like the dialogue between characters is wild um the interactions between characters it's insane are very strange and like the impetus for so much of it i did not remember how much singing and dancing was in the movie but singing and dancing also as like a culmination for racial reconciliation right like it doesn't happen organically at all but it also just happens and then everybody's like yeah the four tops you know what maybe i do like black people like this is actually (laughs) there are literally multiple scenes where a character will be frowning 
they will play some Motown or someone will sing some Motown and then everyone is smiling. Everybody's and into it. Racism got solved. That's, There's multiple scenes. I like was that. saying Blue Blue yeah. is a living needle drop. Like he exists in the film <laughs> to show up, sing a song at somebody. Also, and wait, that's wait. it. Also, Blue has my favorite monologue in the movie. He, Which is this is the monologue I remember. <laughs> When they, uh, when they're lo- when they're, you know, they're not losing, obviously. Uh, but after the second game, things is looking bad. Everybody's a little mad at each other. Still at school, <laughs> and he comes in. They've all gathered in the gym for mm. some reason. By the way, it's a players only meeting, uh, I guess. At the gym, middle of the day. Who knows? Uh, but Blue says, "Hey guys, we we try to be something. Man, we ain't nothing." <laughs> and and just does like three different versions of that. He just says, "We trying to do something, but we ain't doing nothing." Yeah, we want to be something, but we ain't nothing. Like he's the Malcolm X of this metaphor, and everybody's like, <laughs> "Yeah," they buy it. They they're like, "Man, I ain't never heard nobody speak like this in my life." Well, then he's like, "Lou, why don't you get in here and do a little bit of that?" Uh, soft shoe for us say less fam i think it's interesting because like yes the motown is kind of the great equalizer in a way but then the other thing that gets me having watched this movie and it, it's so insidious but like it's also treating sports as the great equalizer yeah. mm-hmm. um and it, it 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 is very much that movie that people today will watch and say like the people who will argue that like there's nothing wrong with what's happening in the NFL right now. Every, every it's sports. Come (laughs) on. There's no, there's no politics in sports. Like everything's fine. And when I watch this, I'm just like, you know, this is, this is the great lie that people both black and white have been telling ourselves Mm -hmm. for decades now, because you have these kind of stories you have. um, And and when I think about it, when I was in in grade school, I will say uh, as a black girl who was not into sports and um, was at a predominantly white school where there were like, I could count on one hand, the number of black people who were in my grade of like a school of 600. Mm -hmm. um, The boys were like, were able to get along better because they were into mm. sports. And it, it is a true thing that like, if you're a black male, um, you know, sports often, like if you're in that kind of environment, at least on the surface, you can get along better with white people than like, if you're a black girl who right. doesn't. Um, and I think that like that idea that this, this movie like really treats that like, they were able to overcome everything over sports. There's, <laughs> there's a scene where, um, Julius goes to visit um, Gary at his in his neighborhood and he's standing there and then a cop rolls up and the cop rolls up and then he rolls down his window and he's like, good game on Saturday or Sunday or whatever. And it's like that moment you're, you're, you're like, oh, my goodness, this cop is rolling up. He's in a white neighborhood. What's going to happen? And then <laughs> then then it like the cop is just like, yeah, good game. And. That kind of shit is just so infuriating because it also like treats racism as something that like white people can easily overcome over sports. Mm. And it doesn't acknowledge that, yeah, you could you could be you can root for this player, but like that doesn't mean he's going to get treated any differently, like in real life, outside, away from the game. And also at the end of the day, 
if the, if the only reason you're being nice to this person is because they can throw a fucking ball, yeah, they won like, you a really? game. They won your town a game. <laughs> they won your town a game. You, so if he lost that game, he'd probably be in jail. Well, <laughs> exactly. The crazy thing about that scene too is it's playing on your preconceived notions of what you think is gonna happen when he rolls down the window. Yes. So they the filmmakers mm-hmm. know what you think this cop is about to do, and so it's almost like a cathartic and like a joke that he does the opposite you know what i mean and so like you're watching it thinking oh shit because even then yeah i hadn't seen this in so long when he i was like oh no are they gonna have a moment because we've look we we had to we had to watch radio for this and (sighs) like there's a similar scene in radio where the cop rolls up and like thinks radio when he's when he's delivering christmas presents is like stealing from homes and so they put radio in Mm -hmm. jail right and it was like oh no are they gonna do something like that where like julius winds up in jail because he went to go visit his friend and it's like no he's just gonna get congratulated and a, and a condescend <laughs> because the thing about that scene too is you're watching julius the whole time and it's also i guess supposed to be somewhat comedic that his responses are uh, oh yeah, yes yes sir yeah i'll do that sir yeah no okay yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. you know oh, it's yeah. just well, like <laughs> but he's terrified I, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? exactly. like that's yeah. i hate to be like open your third eye again (laughs) alert right now but like this whole that whole scene negates the experience negates his experience right because if it ends as a joke it's all good for everybody involved right but there's a very real threat there for a black man bertier i was gonna say bertier makes the joke when he comes up to his house oh i didn't know your taxi cab had sirens if i'm if i'm julius i'm not laughing that's not funny to me (laughs) No. And and that moment is also just treated as like this is how far they've mm-hmm. come. Right. Like this is like this even this town, like that that that's a that that is a a, a sign of of change as if like this cop yeah. <laughs> rolling down his window and just congratulating him is like the the sign of progress. He's and Martin Luther and King. The cop was Martin, Martin Luther, Luther King. King's dreams live. Yeah, two like, weeks ago yes, he was gonna get it's shot. So... But now he's <laughs> That's the other thing. It's been like two weeks. <laughs> right. <laughs> Slow your roll, man. We're, su- we're supposed to believe that like them winning a few games immediately just like eliminates all the racism in the town. You're good in my just, book, like, baby. I highly that I highly doubt that's how it really happened, uh went down in real life. But you know, it makes a good Disney yeah. story. Well there's so. there's a few scenes <laughs> that I, I want to interrogate because I I wonder who and th- again, this is a movie written by a black man. And so I'm, I'm, I'm grappling with that in the sense of unclear from what perspective, right? Clearly under the white gaze. Like you said before, Aisha, this is a movie for white people. And I think that's what struck me the most watching it again was like, oh, this is this is for them. Like this is like explicitly made to bring them in, make them feel like work was done and then, you know, go out into the world feeling better about racism because a team in 1971 went undefeated and black people and white people i didn't kill each other they hugged for that <laughs> brief period they, won, they, they went undefeated in their season and they hugged well because uh 1971 there's there's the scene yeah. early on in the movie where yost is you know confronting boone because he's like you know you're being really hard on these kids and Boone is like, well, you're doing the opposite. You know what I mean? I'm trying to get these kids ready for real life. Like, you're coddling them. And, like, I'm going hard on them because 
that's what I'm supposed to do because the world is going to be hard on them. And so through sports, I'm going to teach them to endure pain and discomfort and et cetera and all of that. And in one sense, sure, although it is coming from a very toxic place of like you get the sense that Boone maybe he's got two daughters. He doesn't really spend a lot of time with them. I wonder what lessons is imparting on them. Uh, yeah. Because uh, at one point earlier in the movie, too, he's like, water's for <laughs> all kinds of expletives. And like, you can't drink water, you know, and like, clearly that he's going to get a citation from somebody because somebody's going to die of heat exhaustion. Um, but like that scene, I think is supposed to be saying, it's different for these kids, you know what I mean? Like, you know, these white kids are going to grow up and they're going to go out into the world and, you know, they're going to have things handed to them and these black kids are going to have to work for everything they get. So, like, they need to start working now, you know, twice as hard uh, on, on this football team. But it's kind of like, that's all he gives them? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's no yeah. follow-up in terms of, like, hey, you know, like, because... The thing that the movie shows you at the end and those where are they now is like none of them played football after this. You know what I mean? So like he prepared them to be football players, not really to live life post football. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and when you see so many athletes who not necessarily like went on to play professionally and didn't really make it, but like the ones specifically that didn't make it. You know what I mean? Like they played high school, maybe a little bit of college, and then that was it. And then athletics is not a major part of their life anymore. And now they don't really know what to do. Because like you were saying, Aisha, like when you're in a situation where you are somebody's teammate, right, and you're playing a sport together, there is a certain level of camaraderie similar to the military, right? Like you're kind of in these like trauma tested spaces with them where you're going through these experiences. If you're at an office with yeah. somebody like no, they don't give a fuck about you. And like transferring to that space where now all of a sudden you're you're having these interactions with white people and it's like, oh, okay. Because I, when I played football, like it was very different. <laughs> and like there was yeah. some level of maybe not mutual respect, but like understanding that you need, you need, I was valuable to you in a way that I'm not valuable to you now. And I, yeah. and I was like, I don't really know how to read that scene because I think I think I know what you're trying to say, but I don't think you're communicating in the way that you think you are. Well, that whole, that, that Denzel's character is just so fascinating to me because like, I already said this feels like Sidney Poitier could have made this movie mm. 40 years earlier. And I do think that he has a lot of the characteristics of a classic, like when you think of Sidney Poitier at his peak kind of character like even the fact that when he's first uh when he's first hired he like goes he, he's like talking i think with the preacher or the yeah. reverend or whatever and he's he's like i don't want to take this man's job like and i'm just like <laughs> really like <laughs> they have to give him they have to give him this sort of unimpeachable kind of stand-up perfect black man and mm -hmm. while yes i agree with you that um He's not really teaching them about like life outside of this. There are people, including some older black people, who think that this is this mm. is exactly what he needed to do. Like that this is what 
what someone in his position should right. be doing. Um, and so this is, I think this is how you get a black man who wrote this. Um, but also we should note wrote, this is, this is like a movie. This is Disney. Yeah. So Disney's going to have notes. Disney, like, we don't know what the original script looked like. It, maybe it got sanded yeah. down a little bit. Um, I'm going to say when you're working, probably. probably. I mean, look, the, the worst thing they say, they they definitely don't use the N-word. No one's calling them the N-word. They say, they say, I don't even think they, they say, say anything coon? like, do they? Uh, they say coon. And, uh, and, that, and that one dude that one dude said it with gusto. Well, man. You know what's so wild about that scene? I know. Coon! It's wild. so many. So there's the scene where they throw the brick through the window, right? Yes. Yes. That that has to be in any yeah. civil rights slash you know post civil <laughs> rights <God>. movie about <laughs> in Denzel Todd like in the nineties through two thousand Todd having bricks thrown through his window like that happened to him too many times. <laughs> so well, in the times. movie, it's like clearly an ADR line, and like the guy like almost trails off when he says it. Is like, hey, Coach Coon. It wasn't like the emphasis that you thought somebody like he wasn't yelling it at him. It was almost like I literally was driving uh, away as he said it. <laughs> and just did it, you know. Like I wish Denzel was like did you say Boone? <laughs> it's 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 uh Mr. B- Mr. Burns Burns. Are you saying Boone or Coon? <laughs> I was saying Boone. I was saying cool. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's it's that sanded down, it is that sanded down racism. And I think that leads me to my my last question before we get to all of your notes, Aisha, because I'm very curious to know what, what you filled that page with. Um, I came away from this movie with this thought, e- even even knowing this movie is written by a black man. What What do white people think racism is? Because it seems like what they what they believe it to be in terms of like a a, a force that's holding black people back is very not just like limited, but like oh y'all just if you just like you step a little bit higher over here, you know what I mean? Like it's it's very easy to get over. Like it's not that big of an obstacle because it's like I think from this movie they think it's like somebody calling you nigger a couple times and like maybe being mildly discomforted right you know what i mean <laughs> and it's like that's You're not in the window racism is is not only just like such a complex literal system you know like in place to keep people out i mean it's it's the the laws that you make specifically to keep me from doing things right you know what i mean and like the idea that at the end of the movie they're like yeah you know this football team brought this town together you know and racism was like kind of kind of over you know in alexandria (laughs) and it was like dog i grew up in maryland and not to say that alexandria was like you know the, the racist capital of the world but like if if Alexandria was some kind of bastion of racial uh, like acceptance Harmony. and love, I did not hear about it 45 miles away. <laughs> it was not a thing that I was alerted to. It. <laughs> I mean, I'd also be curious to, to know what Al- Alexandria looks like it's, today in terms of it's mini DC. People... It's like it's just it's, it's like a small city. Yeah, it's it's right next to DC, and it's where all the people yeah, in but... DC who don't feel like living in DC live. 
to commute. So true. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder how many, like, how far we've really come, especially like post Trump. Oh, well, like, is it? <laughs> we know, asked this. Who? We asked who this question after we watched *To Kill a Mockingbird* in terms of like, what did white people learn? <laughs> that book and movie. That racism is in the past. Because that's the thing the about the crickets these... came out. That's what it was. That's the, that these movies are is that they really depict these events that happened. Racism is is a thing that happened a long time ago to yeah, a specific group thing. of people, and that there was very definitive <clears throat> bad people, right? Who who did like the guy who didn't want to block for Rev. And, uh, you know, the, the people on the Hall of Fame board or whatever they are, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> wanted to sabotage the season. To go, I'm going to go to this Hall of Fame. But then there were the good white people like Bertier and uh, some maybe low-key white savers in the movie, which would be Ryan Gosling's character. And also uh, Ronnie Bass, who, like, was very much so at any given point in time, like, the the good white person doing the right thing at the right time you know what i mean but it's because he was a hippie right. i think I, I think they, they tried to yeah. make that connection very clear that because he's a hippie and he's a forward-thinking person right. i guess but then th- that and maybe queer maybe right, and maybe maybe, maybe queer <laughs> who, who knows but then it's he's also like the dude. there's there's all the white people who get to like be better right like yost gets to be mm. better by the end of the movie and make a big sacrifice and Bertier's mom gets to be better, you know, and and hug Julius and even Bertier's girlfriend gets to be better by a half by not really doing anything besides saying it's going to take me a while, but I'll try. And that's her big moment <laughs> of like, I've changed because I'll shake a black man's hand. And so, Oof. like, I also get a pass now, but it's like. The, the thing that happens with these movies is that they, they do this and then it's in a vacuum, right? Because like, okay, you love the black people on the on the football team, but what about the guy at the grocery store who like bags your groceries? Or like, what about the guy who drives the bus? Or what about the guy who's trying to move into your neighborhood? Like, do you feel that you have the same energy for them as for Julius? Or is it like, well, he's different. <laughs> because he oh, won a lot of football mm-hmm. games and I don't know yeah. this Negro over here. So, you know, like we're not. <laughs> See, I think that's what these movies sort of need is like, you know, Jerome uh, to come in. To... Yeah, <laughs> just Jerome to show up and be like, well, would you shake my hand? No. Would you shake, would you shake my hand? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Because like, here's the thing. The movies that we've watched we have all these exceptional black characters who have done something above and beyond to earn I guess, a respect. place in society. Yeah. White respect, which is like the, that's what they, I feel like that's what white people don't get about these movies that they don't understand that, you know, why aren't, why aren't black people excited about movies like this? Or why aren't black people, you know, championing more movies like this when we have movies that, you know, illustrate racial harmony. But the problem is, in order to be, you know, accepted in these movies or to be respected in these movies, these black people have to do something above and beyond. Like, they always have to do, you know, whatever it is in the third act, it's not just minding their own fucking business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in order to clear out 
the racial cobwebs. Yeah, you gotta chop that shiffer robe. Or uh, gotta <laughs> chop that shiffer robe up. <laughs> I don't want to ever see another shiffer robe in my life. <laughs> well, I think that's that's really what it comes down to, and and that's why I think you know when you think about the differences between not just say like a Fruitvale Station and a movie like this, or you know movies by black people specifically interrogating and investigating these things, but like what was in, in um hidden figures right where the director was like well we have to see a white a good white person oh, the crowbar you know, like scene. a white person has to do something <sighs> good because otherwise <laughs> you know this movie isn't communicating the message that we want and it's like i don't <laughs> that disconnect because like i i think there is a certain level of when these movies are made, you know, like they are Jerry Bruckheimer, you know, speaking of this movie said in a, so many words that it, he wanted to make a movie that told the story, but, you know, kind of, kind of coded the medicine. Right. So you weren't necessarily grappling with all the, but it's the same thing, like say in, uh, I want to say it's Florida or maybe it's Tennessee, they're all blending together at this point now where they just banned the Ruby Bridges movie that Disney also made. Oh, my God. Uh, Florida. I remember because... that movie. That was a put it on TV, yeah. put it on in class movie mm-hmm. for sure. Like, And it's yeah. like they banned it because white children might feel bad about maybe seeing grandma spit on Ruby Bridges as she's trying to go to school. <laughs> and... But it's like, but you're so concerned with white feelings and white reaction to things. And that always whiplashes back onto the black characters in these movies because it always happens at the expense of of black autonomy, right? It's always like, well, this has to happen because because then there's not any good white people, you know? And what is that movie? And mm. it's reality, mm. but not not no good white people, you know what I mean? But like in the sense of like the the noble white person who steps in to say, hey, guys, cooler heads, right? Like, let's think about this. You know, like we, hey, can, buddy. we, can, <laughs> we can be better, you know, we should be better. Or, you know, if you only got to know Jerome, you know, you would see that he is not only just an exceptional football player, but also knows all the Motown hits, right? Like, we can all <laughs> sing together. And it's like, but like Cameron was saying, do we, ha- do we have to be anything or fit into any specific, you know, category that that feels like it is acceptable, specifically under the white gaze and white society? Or are we allowed mm-hmm. to just kind of be over here? You know, if that team went, I don't know, I don't know how many games they played. Let's say nine and three or something like that if they lost a couple in there like is it the same feel-good story that they overcame racism is the town is re- receptive yeah like, what are they just like well boone is boone is out apparently if if we're to believe <laughs> the movie oh, yeah, he but, lost his job <laughs> you know but it's also like yeah like what is what is the bar that's being set here for for these characters to to clear in order to be oh yeah like we you know we actually kind of liked you all along. Sorry about the brick through your window, or <laughs> the dirty you stairs. a slur. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Well, Aisha, let's get to some of these notes that you had. I'm curious to know if there's anything on there that you wanted to bring up in specific that is jumping out at you. I mean, I think I said most of them. <laughs> I mean, I wrote down, I wrote down the part where Jerry is in the hospital, and uh, I can't remember which of either Julius or Jer- or Gary says uh, he's my brother. Uh, I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah. Well, the nurse, the nurse is like, oh, only, only Ken in here, and he's like, can't you see the family resemblance? He's my brother. Uh, (laughs) And it's like, again, (laughs) I don't think. I wish she would have said no. (laughs) I that's what I would (laughs) say. I think the nurse would have been like, yeah, nice try. Yeah, you can see. (laughs) But that's also like that's see that's the kind of actual joke that would be funny to black people because we know that racism was not solved ever, right? Like we know we live like these movies. I'm 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 not trying to cut in on this scene. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. But I I I think we're trying to solve racism tonight. So I think I got a theory. Of course. Uh, But it's I think the the thing that black people don't enjoy about these movies is their treatment of reality. And I'm not saying that movies have to be real because that's incorrect. But uh, in order for like you know for for white people to see themselves in these movies, they have to see somebody who's altruistic, somebody who's got a good head on their shoulders, right? It. But in order for us to believe this movie, we have to we would have to see a world that reflects our own. Yeah. And a world that reflects our own has racist ass people in it, or has like you know people who aren't you know buying the bullshit yeah. a little. Well, bit. I'd say the most realistic scene in the movie is when i think maybe they won one or two games and they go out to celebrate and ronnie's like hey yeah let's go let's go in here and get something to eat and i think oh, it's yeah. donald mm-hmm. Faison and blue and they're like no we can't go in there and he's like why not it's like look at us <laughs> <laughs> he's like no it's okay you know you're with me i guess maybe is the insinuation and they go in and the owner is like yeah, we're full up, even though there's like five people in the bar. And he's like, yeah. first of all, it's like, I mean, can you, are you legally allowed as teenagers to be in that establishment <laughs> at that time of night? It seems confusing <laughs> that they were going into, I think, maybe a bar. Uh, but they Very go much in, still a bar. <laughs> they go in and he's like, oh, we don't serve your time either, hippie. You know, get get out of here. And then they leave and then, you know, everybody's upset. And Ronnie's like, oh, man, like, how was I supposed to know? And Donald Fellows is like, because we told you. We literally- <laughs> yeah. I actually wrote that in my notes, too. I was like, this is this is the only scene that feels actually realistic. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Their response, like, just like, dude, we told you. What, 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 yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, of course, they never really follow up with that. And, and like, there's no conversation post. Like, it's just like. We told you, and that's that's that. Um, but yeah, the follow through, like I, the intentions I get mm-hmm. are there, uh, but the follow through is like, ah oh, man, you know. Uh, but Ronnie is uh, he is so many white yeah. people. Like I I wonder how many of them saw themselves <laughs> in him. Well, that's the thing. The movie <laughs> the movie offers you a, a handful of white people to be, you know, that you can kind of see yourself in that ultimately do the right thing. You can even be the racist mother who comes around at the end and like all it took was your child nearly dying, I guess, to, you know, maybe give his black friend a chance. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I I think, you know, what what is really challenging about a lot of these movies, too, is that when you watch them, Disney is going in, right? Right. 
music cues up to 11. You know what I mean? Like every moment conceivable to tug at heartstrings manipulated in order for you to feel something, you know what I mean? Like, and it's, it's, it's like, I, I have it akin to like a jump scare where it's like, you can't help it. (laughs) Right. Because it's just, it's a thing that's happening to you, you know, and it has nothing to do with what's actually happening on screen. Right. Because the movie at every turn sets up a problem immediately solves the problem moves on to the next scene right you know what i mean like rev gets injured and you're like oh man like what are they gonna do well they're just gonna put in ronnie bass who's apparently like the best quarterback in the country and also learned the thing that he didn't know how to do off screen and now can do it (laughs) (laughs) two weeks again two weeks two weeks (laughs) oh how are these players gonna get along something's happened that's kind of like ruined the vibe of the team well they're just going to hold a players only meeting and sing the temptations and then and then they love each other again you know what i mean and so like every time conflict is initiated immediately after they're just like no but don't have to worry about that because they're going to go back to playing football now so like it's all good uh the ghosts of gettysburg That's <laughs> sweep away <laughs> the racist, the racist bones in that their body. That might bodies. be a better title for the movie: is the Ghost of Gettysburg. And so remember the Titans. Oh my God. Um, well, speaking of of that, I wonder: is it possible to remake "Remember the Titans" without the white savior? It's tricky in situations like this. We find because it's true, and so like these are real people. But as we'll find out in a moment, they also added multiple people who didn't exist so if they could add fake people i guess we can take out real people uh and and change the movie in a sense to to fit something that's less this so aisha is there a version of this movie that you can think of that would kind of fix a lot of the ills that you you saw i mean without having any knowledge of like what really went yeah. down uh you know uh i haven't gone and read any articles that might be giving a mm. more realistic picture of these things um i don't know if it's possible <laughs> i think the problem with these movies is that if you're starting from the baseline of like sports is is like being excellent in sports is the equalizer and that's what it seems like the only way that like this kind of movie gets made because like they did win and they did keep mm-hmm. winning and so they're not doing a story about a team that didn't win and then racism was still overcome uh it's like they won so i don't know if it's really possible i guess maybe if the it was more focused on the herman boone character yeah. and not on all of these other players um and 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 not that I need to see more black suffering, but like if we saw more more racism being hurled at Herman mm. Boone, I feel like that would have like the the brick through the window. Like yeah, all right, that, that's fine. Like he doesn't really deal with too many other terrible things that are happening yeah. to him. Um, that's caffeine free racism. Like, yep. Right. And and even just like, what about his daughters? What about his wife? Like, what were they dealing with? Like, what were they going through? Like, if we had seen more of how it affected his family um, and not just how it affected the other characters on the other teammates, um, to me, that might have been a more interesting uh, movie. 
But yeah, it's always hard with these. Like even even when it's like ostensibly not a white savior movie, and it's like you know stand and deliver, or like one of those movies where it's like the teacher mm-hmm. comes in and it, the black teacher comes in and whips yeah. every like Coach Carter, yeah. if I remember yeah. correctly. Like even when it's those types of movies, they're still there's at at their heart and soul, they're just kind of sappy and saccharine and not gonna get to the meat yeah. of things. It's like. We're not going to find it. I don't think there's a gritty version of Remember the Titans that exists. Um, <laughs> or if, if it did exist, it might look like Bel Air or something and like go like all the way yeah. on the other side of things and just make it so like, <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, I, I basically more focus on Boone and his family. Um, more racism. More racism. <laughs> more like more like hardcore racism. I think in order for this movie to be a better movie, we need more racism. I'm not saying it would be better. I'm just saying it might be a little bit more. Realistic. I would love to see that studio meeting where they come in and you're like, "So I saw the cut. Can we get more racism in here?" <laughs> We could get somebody to ADR the N word in here. We could do that. That's very easy. Also, just like stretch out the time period a little bit longer than just yeah. two weeks. Like I, I, you know, and 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 axe the Gettysburg scene. Mm. Just get rid of it because it's just it's just too. But without the Gettysburg scene, simple. the most inspirational monologue in the movie is "If we ain't something, <laughs> we nothing, man." <laughs> uh, well, Cameron, do you have have any notes? Uh, <laughs> more racism perhaps I, I, kind of, I, kind of agree. I mean I don't even kind of I fully agree with the more racism thing the pro- I think the problem with like a lot of these white savior movies is that white people don't want to believe that they were that fucking bad mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, and honestly in racism in general because like you you tell people about the the ills of racism the horrors of slavery the problem the terribly the terrible things that most black people and there is as has been through in this country. And mouth agape. Oh my god. Oh why? Oh, 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 oh. And, but like read the books. Look at the pictures. Like look at the same resources I'm looking at. Like Well, so a lot of the books don't have any of that yeah, in there. Not either. in Rhonda Santos's Florida. <laughs> yeah, the, the books that you could have access to. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Ben not being there watching Ruby Bridges. <laughs> another movie that like i haven't watched since i was a kid but i imagine they also kind of sanded down what she had to do with like what's crazy is instead of spitting on us my like empty to dasani on her head it was like no get out of here you probably can't watch remember the titans in some of those schools now because it's like oh yeah you know as as like you're saying as watered down and, and sanitized as this is like if the bar is anything that might make a white child uncomfortable with the fact that racism happened once upon a time, like, good luck. <laughs> right? But it's so far in the past, guys. Like, it, it shouldn't bother them if it's, like, so far yeah. in the past, so many years so ago. so crazy. It's so crazy. That's why, like, I want these movies to be good. Every time, I kind of get, like, not excited, but I'm like, oh, this is a feel-good racism epic or, yeah. you know, something like that. I'm like, I, I want them to succeed. I would like them to like actually do the work and be like, you know, sh- show a, a desperate situation where, you know, harmony thrived and, yeah. you know, people found friendship through adversity and things like I I want that, you know, because isn't that the movie that we all actually do want? That's yeah. the movie they keep marketing to us. Right. Well, so in order to get get that, we need a little bit of a kick in the butt. 
Yeah, I was going to say feel good racism epic sounds like a new to be category. <laughs> yeah, I think we just, I think we just got onto something here, man. How how could we turn motives into a feel good racism epic? Uh, well, I think you know what's what's most interesting is that when you think about this movie, and even like trying to picture what it probably could have been, you realize that you don't hear from any of the black people who live in this city. Yep. There's never a scene where they cut to the black delegation <laughs> in no, a barbershop. And they're or... frowny black women. The frowny black women well, that's are the like black the, people the who live in Alexandria. Yeah. Uh, but there's never like a time where it's like, you know, you see them at the very beginning when Boone is coming in and they're like, yeah, we want you to have this job. Like, you're going to represent us, yada, yada. They're all standing outside yeah. <laughs> on his lawn. And then they don't, they never come back. <laughs> Like there's the never black like people, a the black residents of Alexandria, <laughs> all of them. I was kind of surprised that they showed up there because I was like, "Y'all, this is a white neighborhood." <laughs> what What's that like? Be careful. What's that like for like the random residents? Like, imagine if your mom just came out and said, "We gotta go downtown." Why? Because we gotta go stand on this man's lawn and inspire him to coach football in <laughs> town. I don't. I don't really want to leave the house. Shut up and come on. It's seven o'clock well, at I night. I mean, yeah. If you're talking about your mom, night. you know that's. <laughs> that's not gonna work out um but yeah it's it's like you really only hear from select black people in the town and you never really get the sense of like because they'll cut to black people in the stands and again the way that the movie presents black people is like we're always kind of dancing you know we're always kind of <laughs> <laughs> bopping or you know <laughs> And that's mostly what we see. Motown is just playing in our heads all <laughs> yes. the time. <laughs> you know, but they never, there's never really any like, oh man, you know, we, maybe we, we wanted this initially, but now seeing, you know, the stress that Coach Boone is under, maybe we're like reconsidering what what this is worth or, you know, our kids are coming home and like, you know, everything's going, you know, terrible at school or they're having all these, like, I don't think we meet any black parents of any of the kids at all in the movie you know what i mean like there's never an instance where like the black family besides denzel's is having a conversation about like what this means or like what is happening in this because you'll you'll see these moments of racial strife at school or like other places but like it's never set up in a way where you're getting a, a genuine perspective from black people you know like it's only just like white people are upset black people are taking the brunt of that frustration and then we win enough football games that it kind of goes away i guess but there's never Why, really you just you just nailed, nailed put the nail in the coffin is done that's the movie that was yeah. the movie um but it's interesting to go behind the scenes and uh two specific things that i want to bring to your attention one is just the the actual true events of what happened in this movie uh and then is a recent interview from the director boys yokin uh from 2020 just talking about the challenges of making a pg movie about racism and like if this movie was to happen again today like would he even be in the running to direct it um mm. and so the actualities of the movie is 95% of the shit is made up. So <laughs> you're going down Taking the that. list. Um, 
the idea that the schools were desegregated that late is a lie. They were actually desegregated in 1959. Um, and, uh, T.C. Williams was desegregated in 1965. And so this movie takes place in 1971, acting like all of these things happened at once. But the, the other element of that is that when those schools got desegregated, there was two schools that were made. So T.C. Williams was one, and then there was another one. The other one is where all the, the freshmen and sophomores went to, and then T.C. Williams was all juniors and seniors. So this football team was the best players from three different schools, all juniors and seniors. So it was like basically they made an all-star team with the, the best black and white players in the city. When you, again, see Coach Boone talking about, you know, all, all the other schools are all white, and we're the only team that has to worry about race. That's not true because they were already desegregated. So there was a lot of black kids on the other side, which, again, we would never know what their stories were like, you know, being the black kids who didn't win the state championship. Wow. <laughs> and probably what they were going through. Most famously, the whole Gettysburg thing didn't happen. Never went to Gettysburg. I didn't. Never I didn't made think that, that speech. <laughs> didn't get them up to run at 3 a.m. None of that stuff. <laughs> right the like events of the season right didn't really happen because they basically kicked everyone's ass right like they won most games by just blowout margins and like a number of games including the actual state championship they shut the other team out right so like there was no drama in it, most of this football season because they really just beat the hell out of everybody the only team that actually gave them any trouble was marshall and that game is the only game that really went the way that it's depicted in the movie where they won at the last minute. But every other game, they just stopped the other team out. So I can see why it's probably difficult to make a movie where, you know, like the drama and the actual football is non-existent because like every game was just like a, a huge blowout. And then there's a number of players that are made up on the team. So Ryan Gosling's not real. The kid that was like trying to sabotage the team from within also not a real person uh and the racist head coach that denzel gave a banana to also not real you know so like again all of the it perceived racism that happens in the yeah. movie uh like two-thirds of that is made up because they just had to make people up to do racist things otherwise it but not, not enough a, that's what I'm, that's where your note came from. I mean, I think that was the note. I think they looked at it and they said, you know what? Not enough racism. We got to make some racist characters here to kind of bring this uh, <laughs> to the head. And I think the biggest change is that when they're talking about Boone, uh, they didn't really like that man. <laughs> he was he was notoriously a. Like what you see in the movie in terms of him being like almost a dictator on the field, that was accurate. That was how he was in almost every phase of his life. And so you can imagine one season he won a state championship. That's cool. But like six, seven years of that is probably not <laughs> what anybody's trying to see or have. Uh, a lot of <laughs> players didn't have a great time underneath him uh, the way that he ran the team. And that championship season was the only championship season. Every other season, they were either mid to like made it to the second round of the playoffs, and that was it. So, like, 
not to say that he wasn't a successful coach, but also to say that this was the most successful that he ever was. <laughs> just once. Only. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the deal is that, you know, a lot of these movies, again, when you see that based on a true story, uh, that's it's a liberal usage that they're just trying to make you think, hey, what 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 is true? You know, what do you really need to know about this movie? And so there's an interesting interview, again, done by Yahoo, that uh, Boyz Yuckin is, is talking about just what it was like to make this movie. And he didn't want to make the movie. He made Fresh. Like, that's what he was doing. You know, <laughs> and now they're like, you want to make a uh, maybe not, you know, super high budget. It was only like $20, $30 million. Um, but still, compared to the budget of Fresh, that's like... <laughs> a crazy bump up so you know he was like i don't I don't know anything about football um you know like this sounds cool but this isn't really what i do but jerry Bruckheimer was very at, like adamant about him coming in mostly because they couldn't really find any name directors to make a movie on that budget right like people were kind of like i think i need a little bit more money to make this movie and jerry Bruckheimer was like about that so <laughs> this is all i got <laughs> and this is what the movie's gonna be um but in terms of of making the movie today i think you know yakin was talking about you know at that time really the only directors that were getting work work were spike lee john singleton and the hughes brothers right like those were the three big names you know directing in hollywood yeah. and he says that today an african-american would get that job in a heartbeat and I don't even think a white director would be up for that, which is kind of debatable in the sense of like they yeah. they, oh, stay, they would be up for it. They stay giving white people movies that they had no business right. being around. But I mean, yeah. side note, just to say that Trey Parker is directing that uh, Kendrick Lamar movie about the yeah. uh, the black slave reenactor at the museum. So like, we're gonna see what happens yeah, yeah, with yeah. that. <laughs> um, but he also goes on to say that you know the real big challenge was trying to make a Disney friendly movie about racism he said, I had to make a movie about racism in the 70s you couldn't use the n-word you couldn't go in certain directions with how violent or how challenging it was at the time so I had to find a way to make a movie for kids basically because Titans is ultimately a kids movie and my goal was to make a kids movie that parents would feel, wouldn't feel talked down to when they were watching it a family movie in other words but essentially a movie that a 13 year old kid could look at and go that was for me, and I feel respected watching it. Which, when I was thirteen, I was like, "Yeah, okay, remember the <laughs> yeah. Titans." But the second part about not feeling talked down to as an adult, nah, nah you didn't do that. You got <laughs> maybe gonna want to try again. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing about it was that Denzel was also not necessarily on board initially like in terms of, of coming to do the movie because he had just done Hurricane, which was another sports biopic type film. And so it was like, I just, I kind of just did that. I don't know if I want to do that again. Um, <laughs> but one, they didn't say this out loud, but I'm sure they backed a truck of money up to his house. Uh, and then also he, you know, met with the the real Herman Boone and, and kind of got, you know, a feel for it. And this is another thing that they kind of say, but don't really get into specifics. But it seems like Denzel had like final edit over the script. And so like he punched up a lot of things. You know, Jerry Burkheimer says that he 
you know, omitted certain things he didn't feel like would fit with, you know, the character in the movie. So I think ultimately what you see maybe isn't a singular Denzel vision, but, you know, it could it could have been worse possibly uh, in terms of <laughs> things that, 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 that may have been in there that Denzel said, I ain't doing that. Uh, and they're like, you're right, Mr. Washington. <laughs> Just take that out. Um, but I do wonder kind of like, you know, he, he is on record saying that he doesn't really think the movie or he didn't do the movie for the message of the movie. And, you know, doesn't really see the movie being about race as much as it's about you know, the human story and the human connection, which may be him just trying to get out of accountability. <laughs> but also, I think is kind of telling in that the star of the movie isn't like, yeah, this is a story that spoke to me as much as he's like, yeah, this is a, this is a story about us, the human race. <laughs> and so knowing what you know now that a lot of this movie was not real, and uh, <laughs> that even just the making of it kind of feels like they explicitly had to get rid of a lot of things or even invent a racism here or there. Um, do you think, does that change your impression of the film in any way? Or are you just kind of like, it's still what I thought it was? Yeah, I mean, I'm not not at all surprised that like 95% of it, like Almost all of these movies, I mean, most based yeah. on a true story, but especially the racist ones uh, or the ones that, you know, Dangerous Minds, like most of that was not nope. true. Like all, all made up. In fact, funny enough, I remember uh, I interviewed the writer of Dangerous Minds or the, actually the woman who uh, the Michelle Pfeiffer mm, character was yeah. based off of. And yeah, and she, yeah, and she's just like, yeah. Most of this didn't happen. Yep. Like <laughs> that kid didn't didn't get shot or killed or whatever. Whatever happened to that movie? Here, here's the one thing I did forget. I'm sorry. That this is this is maybe not going to change your mind about anything, but I think goes to show just how much they were trying to wring out of it. Is that Bertier did get hurt, but it was after the championship game, not right before the championship game. Yeah. And and did sadly tragically die. Yeah, I remember hearing. Yeah, he that. did. He did die later in another car accident, which is just like that's a real bummer. Nice. Uh, but yeah, even that was just yeah. like yeah, you know, we're gonna shift the timeline around for maximum emotional impact. You know, like he's got to get hurt right before the game, not not a second later. <laughs> so it's it's the same movie to me. Uh, like it's. It, uh, yeah, it, it... <laughs> not surprised. Uh, <laughs> That's all. I have well, to say. <laughs> what might surprise you is how people feel about this movie as we go around to all the different aggregate review sites to look at what people thought about Remember the Titans, starting with IMDb. Aisha, what do you think out of ten stars this movie currently has? Well, let me be honest and say that I have IMDb open right sure. in front of me. <laughs> But I don't, I don't have it scrolled up, and I don't, okay. I didn't look at it. But I'd say it's probably like in the be- between like seven and eight, okay. like stars out of ten Cameron, or what whatever. Yeah, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm gonna say, mm, I'm gonna say six point eight. It's a crowd pleaser. Seven point eight out of two hundred twenty-one thousand reviews. So okay. that is that is yeah. a strong. I mean, even looking around, Blindside only has seven point six. I mean, it's IMDb. Yeah, come on, that's everybody. That's where all 
have you seen a movie? You've been to IMDb. I will say <laughs> I'm looking and John Q has a 7.1 and that's not true. <laughs> I feel like people These are people. These are user scores, my man. Overrated this movie just a tad. Because Training Day only has a 7.7. So people are rating Remember the Titans over Training Day, which I also feel yeah. like is not well, Denzel dies in training day. That's true. So. Oh, fair, fair, point, fair. Point one offer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he died. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He's super dying. That <laughs> yeah. Movie. That's right. He got in the in the, the yeah. pale bullets. bullets. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, he he dies in training day. So that that gets like he better die. Gets, the the, the amount of shit he's done in that movie, he better die at the end of that movie. <laughs> uh, we'll go over to Rotten Tomatoes. Out of 100%, what do you think Remember the Titans currently has? I mean, I don't know. Critics are a little... Are we going by the critic score or the audience score? Why not both? Okay. Um, critic score, it's probably... Oh, these are so hard to... <sighs> Ron's Tomatoes is such a... Oh, okay. <laughs> um, critics, I would say it's probably around like a six. Okay. And audience score, I'd say it's... Or, well, not six. Uh, percent. 60, like a, yeah. yeah, like 60%. Um, audience score, I'd say it's probably closer to like 75. Cameron? Maybe 80. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say the critics score is like a 65, but the user score is like a 78, probably. So, critic score is 72%. Audience score is 93%. God damn! Uh, (laughs) So they, they loved this one. This one really, uh, brought people to their feet i think it's interesting when you look at it because so many reviews specifically at the time were kind of like eh, you know like this is like they're they're doing something here but this isn't necessarily like a movie that is groundbreaking or you know really anything other than a strong denzel performance but as the reviews kind of get later you know, like people looking back on it, like there's a lot of people who just, again, maybe it's nostalgia or something along those lines that they really, really, really love it. Um, but of course, our boy Roger Ebert had thoughts and it says that Remember the Titans has the outer form of a brave statement about the races in America, but the soul of a sports movie in which everything is settled by the obligatory last play and the last seconds of the championship game. And he goes on to say that victories over racism and victories over opposing teams alternate so quickly that sometimes we're not sure if we're cheering for tolerance or touchdowns. Real life is never this simple, but that's what the movies are for. And so I, I think that Roger was so he was just <laughs> almost always so good on race. Like, just... <laughs> He he was the good white person yeah. in the film critic movie, <laughs> yeah. except like the ideal good white person. Right. <laughs> he was a real one, a real one, a real <laughs> good white person. <laughs> but there's a lot of reviews that kind of like mimic that tone in terms of like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of feel good sports movie going on here. But like, what it has to say about race is pretty milk toast and like not worth talking about uh but that's not what the people had to say and specifically if we go over to amazon.com our favorite what do you think out of five stars remember the titans currently has because amazon is for the people of the people it's where you get (laughs) for the people the wildest and most like (laughs) love the reviews man love the reviews yeah so out of five stars what do you think remember the titans currently has 
I mean, probably like a 4.5. Cameron? If there was ever a five-star movie on Amazon, this has got to be it. 4.8 out of 5. Basically five stars out of 14,000 reviews. Yeah, it's really... You get a lot of people just, again, going through the... You know, I, I remember this movie when I was a kid. You know, profound, moving, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it really is just... I don't know how many people watch this movie again. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like there's a whole swath of people who kind of saw it one time or maybe a couple times, you know, at like a sleepover or, you know, at jury duty <laughs> or, you know, jury duty? <laughs> I wish. this is, this is, this is a high key jury duty movie that, you know, they might I mean, just throw on. And, I need a jury and, duty movie. I think there's probably a, our generation possibly if like one Denzel dies, there's going to be a bunch of people who is like, this is my favorite Denzel movie. Yeah. And uh, I will not understand it, but <laughs> I don't like that. Sure. I don't like Unless that. I, I don't like that side. scenario you created, but I know it's like just so true. You know, that's what it's going to be. Uh, it's like, obviously everyone will also say like Malcolm X, Devil in Blue, but like, there'll be some people who are like, yeah, those are good movies. But like, remember the Titans. That's my, that's my job. I do not feel good at the end of that movie. <laughs> Well, now we have to put this on our caucasity ranking scale, Aisha. So we've got three levels of caucasity to choose from. The first level being shorts of the winter. Being out in Oakland, it's probably not necessarily something you see often, but I know that you went to school at Northwestern in, in uh, Chicago, and that's probably something you saw quite often is this whatever it is, whatever <laughs> internal temperature they're living by when it's, you know, 20 degrees 15 degrees 20 degrees and really negative 15 with the wind chill yes yeah. uh yeah full on no. and i also went to school in connecticut and saw the same caucasity <laughs> there too which is like there's snow on the ground and you're wearing shorts right now but you're also there's wearing sh- a... shorts with a parka right on top. it's like, the, you got the north face that's the so thing i know that you're cold it. the top half is covered but where yeah. it counts in the snow <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know, they just, they overheat up top and the, but heat rises. No, I don't that's, know. That's not, not is that how Ronald Reagan's <laughs> no. came up with trickle down econ- <laughs> economics? Is that how he yeah. laid that one out? Uh, okay. Let's, yeah, let's Good start work. that rumor. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is, this is benign, right? This is like, we are hmm. concerned maybe, you know, watching this from afar, but it's not hurting us. It's not really affecting us. In a, in a negative way, we just kind of have a lot of questions about what is actually happening. Cameron, what's the second level? The second level of caucasity is this movie is touching my hair. So now the movie has entered your space. It's probably didn't ask any questions, probably, but it was inquisitive nonetheless. Wanted to know about your hair, wanted to know all about it, but before asking, invaded your space. And that's or in my case, several times while asking, invaded my <laughs> it's, it's crazy, but see, that's when you have to do like the quick like reaction, like the it's like you yep. inherit like cat like reflexes because you're hearing the question, but also there is a hand looming coming to invade, coming to do something, and that's the point where there's an intentional thing going on there, right? They you know, maybe they, they'll say they wanted to ask, but they didn't ask. That's what happened. They didn't ask. And there's a knuckles firmly planted in your hair. And then you're mad. 
And that's when we know, you know, we know what they're doing at this point. We know that it's a problem. It might not be the ultimate problem, but it's definitely an issue at this point. And the third level changes from week to week. But this week, um, we had to go with just because everything else was either so sad or like we just didn't know what was going to happen in the next week. Like if we go with Trump's indictment and all the wild things that he said in just the hour uh, that (laughs) this has been going on, we don't know how that's going to age. But um, not that long ago, maybe a week ago, there was a white Mississippi news anchor who decided that she was going to end her segment on a new Stoop Dog product with For Shizzle My Nizzle. And immediately (laughs) lost her job. She looks like what you think she looks like. Um, Mm -hmm. And was fired. But a lot of people, specifically one Charlemagne the God and also Whippy Goldberg came Mm -hmm. to her defense Mm -hmm. with the well, how is she supposed to know what that means? You know why she and knows. You know she knows, Charlemagne. Not just through context clues, um, but also general media literacy would maybe infer that the nizzle part <laughs> <laughs> might be somewhat racially charged. I mean, to be fair... In when that was a saying that people still said, because no one there says you go. it anymore. No. Not but even when, him. But when it was a thing people still said, still said, like, white people were saying it all up and down, all over the place. Oh, yeah. They were, because that was also the era of uh, Gold Digger mm-hmm. and Oof. Kanye letting white people say the word yep. at his concerts, uh, sing the lyrics, uh, literally calling them out and saying, white people, you can say this. Yep. I was at a concert in, uh, when that song came oh, out, uh, and he did that. Oh, man. And I was at Northwestern, and uh, yeah, surrounded by white people, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so I, it's not about her not knowing. It's that I think she thinks she just, she probably just thought like, oh, I get a pass. It's Snoop Dogg. Oh, she yeah. thought shit was sweet. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she also apparently referred to a black grandmother as a grandmammy not too long before that. And so I think she is a habitual line stepper (laughs) who maybe stepped a bit too far, a a big stepper, if you will, and maybe overstepped (laughs) her boundaries. (laughs) But this is. So wait, so so, so that's the level? That's the third level level in that you know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly. Right. Like there's no confusion about. You know, like you thought you were going to be able to do that and just show up to work the next day and nobody was going to say anything or that people were going to cape enough for you that it was just going to be like, you know, I I start the GoFundMe and then I keep it moving. Uh, But like she there's no way that she a didn't know what that meant, but also like the gusto with which she says it when you watch the video is of somebody who probably practiced that in the mirror before like she was like i'm gonna hit him with this (laughs) at the end (laughs) and they're gonna love it and they did they did not love it they meaning us uh except for charlemagne and whoopi goldberg who also loved ted danson and blackface that friars club meeting so maybe not the one to speak on that but uh, (laughs) of those three levels where do you think remember the titans lands it's a two um, it's a uh, touching my hair. Um, 
it's it's higher it's it's not quite despite the fact that it's a feel-good movie i don't think that makes it benign (laughs) in part because it is disney and just the sheer uh influence that disney has uh to me makes it a step above that but at the same time i don't think it's like again it's not it's not green book levels Mm. like you know it's it's not that it's i don't want to say it's hard is in the right place but it's not it's just not as offensive to me as something like green book yeah um just because of that denzel performance and um so many like you know there's a lot of black people who like this movie yeah. i'm not saying that's like the that's that doesn't make it that doesn't make it less egregious, but I, mm-hmm. but I guess I, I, it does in a way. Like you know, it's like I, I don't think black people collectively have shunned this movie in the way that no. they've shunned other things. Oh so no, yeah. I put it at, at touching my hair. Cameron, what about you? What do you think? Uh, I think I have to agree. Yeah, it, it doesn't go as hard as other movies. It's also not like stupid like other movies. You know, like it. What I mean by stupid is like it. It doesn't blindly go in not knowing anything about racism or how it affected other people i just decided to write a movie kind of like green book yeah <laughs> i hate that green book is the punching right. bag in the example but literally I yeah i mean Punch away. <laughs> that's right though i mean that man started the movie by calling his plumbers niggas and then he invited his black friend over for christmas dinner at the end get 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 the fuck out! Like get the fuck out! So invited his black friend who lived above Carnegie Hall and could have done literally anything, anything time in life. Oh, I'm gonna go to my and Italian he made the decision to come in Queens. That's just New York geography alone. Like, why would he even? <laughs> you know, we're not gonna get into that. But <laughs> the fact that that movie thought that little of like interpersonal relationships at that time to like fix yeah. its mouth to even make that situation real. Versus this movie kind of like, you know, it understands, it understands uh, a little bit about the black plight at the time. However, it is Disney. It is, you know, codified. It is, you know, made for the masses. So, yeah, it's it's a two. Yeah. Yeah, I also have to give it a two. I feel like we, we haven't done it yet, um, but we do have to give Denzel. It's got to get black acting school because he was, he was acting. I mean, he was doing it. He's the, he got the finger works. in this movie. He got the downward finger. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like when them so coaches many, was calling like them the calls, the refs were calling the calls. It was like, why didn't you let? No, he was eating. Mm-hmm. Like any any scene that he was coaching, like he was like in the element. Um, oh hell yeah! And even even the scene, it goes on a little bit too long. The you know, it's football fun. Like I oh, feel yeah. like they definitely like ad lib that and like. They just Donald on was just trying not to break the whole time I <laughs> was yelling at him. Um, what I would give but... to be Donald Faison in that situation, just like, I got a scene with Denzel that made it in the trailer, but like, say, say, I dare you to say anything to me. <laughs> but yeah, generally, is it offensive? I mean, it's not Michael or I never had one before. A room? No, a bed. Like, it's not, like, <laughs> that bad. Where you're just like, turn it off, please. Um, yeah. There is maybe a bit more shucking and jiving than I realized in this movie. Where it's just, <laughs> Ain't no shucking high enough, man. Ain't no shucking low enough. They, they, <laughs> they drop the needle one too many, unprovoked. You know, just <laughs> like, here we go. Time to dance. But... <laughs> 
you know, I mean, the message of the movie is what white people love, you know, which is like we can reconcile the end. We can do that. You know what I mean? All you got to do is maybe throw a ball real good and we'll <laughs> consider it. Um, but in terms of, yeah, like the harm, it's not doing harm, harm in the same way that like Cool Runnings or The Air Up There or like other Disney adjacent movies were like, that's fine. Um, but yeah, if you, if you wanted to anything about race at all, like don't watch, remember the Titans, like that's not going to give you anything, <laughs> but what might give you something is Aisha's new book. Aisha, can you tell everybody about when the book is coming out, um, what they can expect from it and tell us where we can find you online and other places. Yeah. Uh, the book is called Wannabe Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me. It's a collection of nine original essays, um, part memoir, part critical exercise. One chapter is uh, dedicated to how we talk about and judge uh, Black arts and mm-hmm. um, my own wrestlings with uh, not liking certain movies that I felt like I was supposed to like, Boy. supposed to is in uh, air quotes there. Um, I have another one that sort of traces the black friend trope in movies and TV from Mark and, and books from like Mark Twain, Huckleberry Finn mm-hmm. to She's All That, New Girl. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited for people to check it out because um, I, I hope it makes people think uh, think about how we interact with pop culture how it affects us how it affects how we interact with other people about pop culture mm-hmm. including standom online and all mm-hmm. those things and it's out june 13th uh you can pre-order it now do that mm-hmm. go for it um and uh yeah you can find me for now on twitter mm-hmm. at <laughs> crafting my style um by the time you hear this i might not have a blue check mm-hmm. anymore but whatever i'm not paying for that <laughs> shit right. uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also, you can follow me on Instagram at aha88. Um, yeah, that's Dope. that's me. Oh, and of course, listen to me on NPR at Pop Culture Happy Hour. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Cameron, what, where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter while well, it's still around and IG mm-hmm. at uh, the Blipster eleven thirty eight. Uh, follow me for the foolishness. And maybe in summer, I'll get to tell you about the cool project I'm working on. Mm. Mm. Nice. And I'm Jordan Clark. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JRSOSA18, JRSOSA18. Comic stuff coming out. The New Talent Showcase, the Milestone Initiative from DC Comics is coming out May 30th. Uh, so go ahead and check that out. You can request it at your comic shop now. And just signed a contract for a thing that I can talk about when they tell me I can talk about it. <laughs> so much mystery yeah, here. Mystery niggas. You got, <laughs> maybe we should change the name of the show. Um, <laughs> got to rebrand. Uh, but yeah, if, if you want to find us, as as we've all stated on Twitter for now, at Wayne underscore pod, I, you know, if they ban TikTok and everything else, you know, you just got to email us at white people won't save you pod at gmail.com. <laughs> Might be the only way to get in touch with us soon. Um, but that's going to do it for us this week. And we'll be back next week with more Calcacity. Peace. Peace.